This is the word of the Lord. Please give it your full attention. Now the Lord said to Abram, go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. And I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great. And so you shall be a blessing and I will bless those who bless you and the one who curses you. I will curse and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. So Abram went forth as the Lord had spoken to him and Lot went with him. Now Abram or Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his nephew, and all their possessions, which they had accumulated, and the persons which they had acquired in Haran. And they set out for the land of Canaan. Thus they came to the land of Canaan. Abram passed through the land as far as the site of Shechem, to the oak of Morah. Now the Canaanite was then in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said to your descendants, I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who appeared to him. Then he proceeded from there to the mountain on the east of Bethel. And he pinched, pitched. I'll tell you something about this in a moment. He pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai or I on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord, and he called upon the name of the Lord. Abram journeyed on, continuing toward the Negev. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Our gracious God and Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word. We do pray that as your word goes forth, that you would give us ears to hear, hearts that believe, and minds that understand. Assist us now, Lord, as we consider your word. Help us, Lord, to see the great covenant that you are establishing and the foundations, Lord, of that of that covenant with Abraham. Lord, help us to see that clearly today and see, Lord, how it is fulfilled in Christ in the covenant of grace. We thank you for this in Christ's name. We pray. Amen. Please be seated. There is a, a video uh, of a preacher who is who has uh, misplaced his words during uh, some of these verses. And so it's so familiar to me that it, the, the video, it's a joke. It's so familiar to me that I might accidentally say, I hope not. My wife is laughing because we've seen the video so many times, but I might accidentally say something and I, I hope I don't. Uh, I really hope I don't. Uh, another thing I want to warn you of is uh, we are saying Abram. I may from time to time say Abraham. I'm talking about the same person. So if I am saying Abram when I should be saying Abraham or saying Abraham when I should be saying Abram, uh, give me grace, I will most likely be using Abram because he is not yet Abraham. Okay? So just to keep that in mind. The last time that we gathered on the Lord's Day, <clears throat> we considered the remaining verses of the 11th chapter of the book of Genesis. Uh, we learned that in order to understand the remaining verses of the 11th chapter, we needed to take a step back, Right? To see where we have been. We look back on God and his creation. The fall of man. The first gospel or the proto-evangelium. That is the promise of the skull-crushing seed of the woman. The first gospel. 
We saw the tracing of two seeds, the seeds of the woman, the seeds of the serpent. We look back at the increasing wickedness of man, which leads God to judge all flesh through the worldwide flood. We reflected on God's rescuing of Noah and his family and rebooting humanity with Noah's family. Our eyes were once again focused on the promise of Genesis 3.15 as Noah's descendants or sons dealt wickedly and righteously toward their father. And from them come the table of nations that we saw in chapter 10. And finally, we saw the wickedness of man once again reach its climax at the building of Babel, where God came down, confused the languages of the nations, and scattered the nations across or abroad the face of the entire earth. We then considered where we are presently in the narrative of chapter 11. And immediately after the fall of, or the the rebellion at Babel, we are refocused. Our attention is refocused by the first verses, or the first verse of Genesis chapter 11 and verse 10. These are the records of the generations of Shem. And in these words, in this verse, our eyes are meant to once again be fixed on the promise of God. What is that promise? We are going to say this over and over and over again. The promise of God is Genesis 3.15. He shall bruise you on the head and you shall bruise him on the heel. With the 10th verse of the 11th chapter, these are the descendants of Shem. We are reminded of the promise of God. That all has not been lost. That God has not lost sight of that which he has promised for man. Namely, man's redemption. As the generations of Shem are described... We are never meant to lose sight of the promise of the covenant of grace. We're going to say this uh, covenant of grace a lot. Later on, I'll give you a definition of what that means. The covenant of grace. There is a quick kind of stroll through the generations of Shem until we come to Terah. He is the father of three sons. Abram, Nahor, and Haran. It is believed that Abram is the youngest of these three sons, but mentioned first because he is the one of most importance or of greatest importance. He and his family were moon-worshipping pagans. Just let that set in for a moment. Abram and his family are moon-worshipping pagans. They live in a country called Ur of the Chaldeans, which is modern-day Iraq. They are living in Ur of the Chaldeans, and one of Terah's sons have passed away. His name is Haran. And they're moving. They're moving from the land of Ur of the Chaldeans to a land called Canaan. Pause for a second. Where have you heard Canaan before? You've heard Canaan before. He is Ham's son. Ham, who was cursed by God, and Ham, who God curses, also his son Canaan. They are living in a land now called Canaan. They are headed toward a land called Canaan. And we will find out more details about this move in the in the 12th chapter as we progress in this sermon. We are told in verse 30 that Sarai was barren and she had no child. And it is with this verse, the, the barrenness of Sarai, that we are told where we are going. So where are we? We are with a family who is worshiping the moon. Where are we going? Verse 30 of chapter 11 tells us where we are going. We are going towards 
a miracle. That a barren woman might conceive a child and through that child might come or might continue the promise of the covenant of grace that God promised in Genesis 3.15. The reality of Sarai's barrenness is, is the plot, if you will, that will set the stage for all of the drama that will unfold over the next 13 chapters. This is where we are going. And now then, with the Lord's help, we shall consider four points this morning from Genesis chapters 12, chapter 12, verses 1 through 9. I said to, to uh, uh, a loved one last week, in case you missed the point of what we were talking about and of what we're talking about, imagine we are <clears throat> heading to uh, San Francisco, which is to me the Holy Land. I love that place, right? It's not, I know. Uh, calm down, Ray. Uh, and we set our GPS for San Francisco. This is where we are going. Along the way, we are going to need to, to stop and get food. Along the way, we have gotten a flat tire. Along the way, maybe our car has broken down. Along the way, we have run into different obstacles, but yet we have not lost sight of the fact that we are headed toward San Francisco. Keep that in mind as we are progressing through the book of Genesis. Genesis 3.15 is our goal, is God's goal. All of history is headed toward, at this time, headed toward that arrival of the promised seed of the woman who would crush the serpent's skull. And along the way, we are running into different obstacles, but we are not going to be, God will not be deterred from fulfilling his promise. Very simply. Number one, point number one, this is the call of Abram or Abram. The call, the Lord calls Abram out of darkness. First point, the Lord calls Abram out of darkness. Chapter 12 and verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. Brothers and sisters, let us recall for a moment once again Abram's place in life when he receives this gracious call from the Lord. Abram was a man at or around the age of 75 years old. He was living in Ur of the Chaldeans, a land known for its idolatry and the worship of the moon. According to Joshua chapter 24, Abram worshiped and served other gods. This was most likely the practice of Abraham's life for 75 years of his life up until the moment of God's calling. Up until the moment of God's calling, Abram is, is a moon-worshipping pagan, and he had been so for 75 years. 75 years. Abram was also married to his half-sister, which would later be forbidden in the law of God. And his half-sister is barren. Barrenness during that time was as close to being as cursed as you can be. This is Abram's place in life. This is Abram's uh, position in life. And then out of nowhere, the Lord calls Abram out of the darkness of idolatry that he is living in. Verse 12 or chapter of chap, chapter 12, verse one. The Lord said to Abram, go. Go, go forth to the land. I will make you into a great nation, he says. I will bless you. Make your name great. You shall be a blessing. And those who bless you will be blessed. The one who curses you will be cursed. And you, he says, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Pause for just a moment. And consider this question. 
What did Abram do to receive such a wonderfully merciful and blessed call? We saw his, his, his position or place in life. He is a pagan. He's worshiping the moon. He's married to his half sister. What work? What merit did Abram perform in order to be worthy of receiving such a blessed calling? There must have been some kind of work that Abram worked in order to receive this blessing from God. What did he do? What did he do? What must he have done? Answer. He's done nothing. There was no work. There was no merit. There was no good deed done by Abram to receive this merciful calling from God. Abram was called out of darkness, out of the darkness of pagan idolatry, not because of any work that had been performed in him, not because of any good that had been foreseen in him, not because of any, in, any, anything good in Abram, but because, rather, of the loving kindness of God who has mercy on whom he will have mercy and who calls his people for his own glory. We know that Abram was a Sethite. He's a descendant of Seth. We know also that Abram was a Shemite. He is a descendant of Shem. And yet, in spite of his physical relationship to these godly men, Abram is not called because of these godly men. You understand that? It is not because he was Seth and Shem's descendant that God calls him out of darkness. He was not entitled to receive grace from God because of whom he came from. Does that make sense? The grace of God is not dependent upon what family you are born into. My son will not be a recipient of the grace of God simply because he is the son of two believers. My son will not be a recipient of the grace of God simply because he is the grandson of two believers. The grace of God is not dependent upon good work or merit or, unfor- or, or, or foreseen good upon someone's life. It's not contingent upon what family you are from. The grace of God would not be grace if it depended upon or hinged on those things. No, brothers and sisters. For the Lord says to Moses in Exodus chapter 33 and verse 19, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. And I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. And then Paul repeats this verse in relationship to God's election in Romans chapter 9. What shall we say then? There is no injustice with God, is there? May it never be. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy and will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it is. So then uh, God's election or calling, it does not depend on the man who wills or on the man who runs, but on God who has mercy. There is not one thing that we can do in order to cause God to choose us or call us. There is not one good thing that we can ever do before God that would make God say, yes, you, because you No, it is only God because of God. 
There was no good deed done by the hands of Abram that would cause God to look favorably upon him. Again, what good was Abram doing at the time of his call? What good was he pursuing? And here, here's this. And what God was he pursuing? What good and what God was Abram pursuing when he was called by God? He was a pagan idolater worshiping the moon. There was no good Abram was pursuing. It was not Yahweh, the one true God, that Abram sought after. And yet, in spite of the fact that Abram was doing no good and not seeking after God, it pleased God to have mercy on him. To rescue Abram from the death and darkness that Abram sinfully chose himself. To bring him into God's marvelous light. And it is with this initial merciful call of God that we too can identify. For just as Abram was called forth from the darkness of his grave, from the depth and death of his grave, so it was with you and I. You and I who have placed our faith in Christ alone for our salvation. What good were we seeking when we were called by God? What God were we seeking when we were mercifully called by God? What work or what merit did we perform in order for God to have mercy on our wretched souls? Whose glory, whose praise were we in pursuit of when we were called out of our idolatry? I say to you, in the words of the Apostle Paul, quoting the Psalms, there is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. All have turned aside. Together, they have all become useless. There is no one who does good. No, not one. Their throats, our throats are an open grave. Their throats, our throats, we keep deceiving. The poison of asp is under our lips, whose mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Our feet were swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery was in our paths. And the path of peace we have not known. There was no fear of God before our eyes. This, my dear brothers and sisters, was the condition of each and every one of us when we were called out of darkness and into the marvelous light of God's salvation. It mattered not whether we were the most violent. It mattered not whether we were the most dishonest, whether we were the most greedy, we, like Abram, Abram were haters of God who worshiped and served other gods. Who were those other gods? Namely, they were us, ourselves. We worshiped ourselves. We might not have worshiped the moon, but we worshiped the man in the mirror, the woman in the mirror, because we only sought our own satisfaction, that which most pleased us and not that which most pleased God. And God called us out. God breaks that mirror destroys that so that we may pursue not ourselves and our glory, but God and his glory. We may not have worshipped the moon, but thank God that he has rescued us from worshipping ourselves. What is what is worse? What is worse? And yet God lovingly, mercifully and graciously gave to us that which we could never achieve on our own. And that which we could never repay. Salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we shall see as this uh, narrative progresses that this is what Abram has been given by grace and this is what Abram has received by faith. He has trusted in Christ and we shall see how he has trusted in Christ in just a moment. Abram has trusted in Christ. Do you see Christ anywhere in chapter 12? 
Abram has trusted in Christ. And we shall see how in just a moment. It, it, it is in this calling of, of salvation that we can... Let me pause and say that again. It is in this calling of salvation that we can identify with Abram. But there is another calling of Abram that we cannot identify. There is a specific calling that God is calling Abram to that we cannot identify with. And we'll see that, that point in just a moment. Point number two. The Lord called Abram to leave and become a pilgrim. The Lord called Abram to leave and become a pilgrim. Verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. There are two things happening here that are worth uh, worthy of our attention. Let me just say, as a side note, there's a lot going on here in Genesis chapter 12. Especially in these first uh, nine verses. There's a whole bunch going on. But there are at least two things that are happening here in this verse that are worthy of our attention. And we will deal with one now, then the other one in our next point. Okay? The first is the more practical aspect of this calling. The Lord is calling Abram to leave Ur of the Chaldeans. Stephen, who was martyred in the book of Acts, comments on this pilgrimage. Let's go to Acts chapter 7. Acts, the seventh chapter. It's important for you to see this. Yeah. Acts chapter 7 and verse 2. This is Stephen who is uh, appealing to the Jerusalem crowd. He said, hear me, brethren and fathers. The Lord of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia. Listen to this now. Before he lived in Haran. And he said to him, leave your country and your relatives and come into the land, which I will show you. Then he left the land of the Chaldeans and settled for Haran. So Abram was in Haran from there. After his father died, God had him moved to this country in which you are now living. Stephen now inspired by the Holy Spirit. Go back to Genesis 12 inspired by the Holy Spirit gives more insight into this pilgrimage of Abram. Abram was living in Ur of the Chaldeans, in the land of Mesopotamia. When he was called by God to leave Ur, and so he came to Haran. So he's leaving Ur, and then comes to Haran. His father has traveled with him to Haran. His father dies in Haran. After his father had died, God called Abram to then again leave and travel to a land that was promised to him and his descendants. What was that land? The land of Canaan. It was the land of Canaan. We know this information. But Abram did not. Are you with me? We know all of this information. Abram did not. As a matter of fact, we know about more. We know more about where Abram was going than Abram knew at the time of his calling. We have the full revelation of God for man here in the scriptures. Abram was receiving instructions from God. Without ever knowing what you and I know. God is telling Abram to go somewhere. And Abram has no idea where he's going. And, and he has no idea how that would fit into God's ultimate plan of redemption. The Lord calls Abram. But if you notice, God does not immediately tell him where he's going. Verse 1. 
there's going to be one A and B. Now the Lord said to Abram, go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land, which I will show you. Where are we going? I'll show you. Who likes that? My son hates that. Come with me, son. What is it, dad? Just follow me. Where are we going? And then my son will begin to guess. Oh, we're going to do this, huh? No. Oh, we're going to do that, huh? No. And I was just say, can you just follow me? The Lord command, commanded that Abram go from his country. But there is no destination in Abram's mind in sight. God knows where he's going. There's only a command. And the destination will be revealed, revealed later. For now, just go. And what does Abram do? Nah, I don't think so. I don't know about that. Verse 4. So Abram went. He went forth as the Lord had spoken to him. And Lot went with him. Abram did not know where he was going, but he obeyed the command of God to become a pilgrim. Nevertheless, to become a sojourner. Nevertheless, this displays the steadfast faith of Abram. The Bible says in the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, by faith, Abram, when he was called, obeyed going to out, obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance. This is Hebrews, chapter 11, verse eight. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he lived as an alien in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise, for he was, listen, why did he go? Why did Abram, not knowing where he was going, why did he go? Why did he obey the command of God to not know where he's going, but to just go? Hebrews tells us, for he was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. Why did he go? Because he was looking not, not for a, a, an earthly land per se. He was looking for a city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. He was pursuing the land of God. In essence, he was pursuing God. Amen. Abram heard that the call of God was to go. And even though Abram had no idea where he was going, he obediently went and became a sojourner, a pilgrim, a wanderer, if you will, on this earth. Abram's obedience was a display of his salvation. For obedience is the greatest evidence for salvation. My friends, I tell you that the evidence of salvation, the evidence of regeneration of the heart is obeying the command of God. This is reinforced in verse 8 when Abram builds an altar and worships God. Faith in God always means obedience to God. And obedience should be full. Obedience should be exact. This is what God has said and this is what I will do. What was God calling and commanding? Ab hear that again. What was God calling and commanding Abram to do? He was calling him to to leave that is no easy task to leave what god is calling and commanding abram to leave his country to leave his family to leave his father's household do you see those three things leave your country leave your family and leave your father's household it was all together to begin something anew it was altogether to establish something altogether different. 
than everything that Abram had known and had been accustomed to. God was calling Abram to leave everything behind. We here in America, in the United States, we admire that kind of action. For we are comprised of a nation of immigrants, are we not? We could go to each and every one of you individuals and say, where are your family from? Where are your families from? Well, my family came from the Philippines. They traveled here in 1916, 1917. My family came from Mexico. And we admire that, that, that desire for something greater that our ancestors had. We admire that, that desire for opportunity and for freedom that our ancestors saw in coming to this land. Even if they were Irish, even if they were Italian, they came to this country seeking freedom and opportunity. But Abram wasn't looking for America. Abram was not looking or being called by Lady Liberty. Abram was being called by Yahweh, the creator of heaven and earth. Abram, God calls Abram to be, as it were, a sojourner, a pilgrim on this earth. God calls Abram to be a wanderer, if you will. He had no idea where he was going. In order to follow God, Abram had to be separated from all that he knew and all that he was comfortable with. He had to be cut off from the idolatry of his life. For 75 years, he had been worshiping the moon, and so did his entire family. You've got to separate from that. For all of his entire life, he had been associated with family members who only knew one style of living, one way of living. You need to be separated from that. You need to be cut off from the worship of other gods that are fashioned in the minds of men, and you need to follow the one true God. And for all who seek to follow Christ, we too must be willing to leave it all behind. When we are called out of darkness, we can't bring darkness with us. When we are called out of sin, we don't bring the world with us and say, I'll integrate it into, into Christ or I'll integrate my, my worldly lifestyle, my worldly living into the church. We become altogether anew. We become all together sojourners and pilgrims on this, on this earth. This is no longer your home. You are headed toward a heavenly city whose builder or architect and builder is God. And when we come on the Lord's Day, we are reminded that we are pilgrims on this earth. We gather together as pilgrims. We are from different parts of the city and we come together to remind ourselves this is not our home. And we get a taste of home when we gather for worship. We get a taste of home when we pray, when we sing, when we hear God's word, when we partake of the Lord's Supper. We are reminded this is not our home. Praise God for the Lord's Day Sabbath. That he gives us a day in seven that we are reminded you are, heaven to, you are heading towards a heavenly city. Don't for, that, This is why the forsaking of the saints is so so important for us not to do. Gather with the saints. Be reminded or else you will live as one who this is your earth. This is your home. But when you come on the Lord's Day, you're reminded, no. And you were telling the world, no, this is not my home. I'm surprised I'm not hearing a hundred, even though there's not a hundred people in here. hundred amens. Because you know you sing that song on the radio, all I know. Yeah, you're smiling, you're laughing. You know that song. Do you believe that? All I know, how's it go? All I know is I'm not home yet. This is not where I belong. 
Yeah, you know that song. Do you believe that? Don't sing that song if you're going to forsake the assembling of the saints on the Lord's day. Because it's just a song then. It's just a song. Are you willing to take up your cross and follow after Christ to be cut off from the worship of self, to be cut off from those who also worship self, to take up our crosses and follow Christ and to be pilgrims, as it were, on this earth, looking forward to a city whose designer and builder is God? Or are we too attached Hey, if mom leaves the church, I'm leaving the church. Then who are you here for? Matthew 10, 37. Whoever loves father or mother or more than me is not worthy than me, of me. Who, he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. He, he who does not take up his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. Who has found his life will lose it. And he who loses his life for my sake will find it. Explain that to a five-year-old during worship as we have. There should be no greater love in your life that you have than the love of Christ. And you have them for the love of Christ. Abram did not know exactly. Or the love of your friends. I love my friends. I love my Do you love Christ more? Do you share the gospel with your friends? I say that to you young ones as well. You were sitting here in church. Don't be like as I was when I was young. Sitting in church and an unbeliever you are at a greater greater advantage than i was because you are hearing the gospel abram did not know exactly where he was going but as hebrews 11 says he could see it he could see it from afar and he welcomed the plans and promises of god even though they were yet at a distance Hebrews 11, 11, 13b, having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a country of their own. And indeed, if they had been thinking of that country from which they had they went out, they would have had an opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God has not been ashamed to call them their God, for he has prepared a city for them. What ranks highest in your identity i'm a filipino mexican i'm a husband and father i love god and i love my church do you put your country before your god or your church Okay, okay, let's switch it up. Uh, God, my family, and then the church. You know, that's not even a biblical way. That God has prioritized himself and his church as our number one priorities in our lives. Yeah, but the people at church, no, 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 no. Don't get caught up in that. Because that'll cause you running from one church to another. But my God, his church and my family. Why? Why? Because there will be no family ties like what we have here in eternity. 
My wife, although I love her with all of my heart, will not be my wife in heaven. I, I, this is a side note. I always joke with her. Yes, you will be. I'm going to come find you. <laughs> and I give her this. I'm going to come find you. I give her that eye. Our relationship will change. Therefore, your relationships with those who are here in the church are the only thing that you will take with you. Because that will be eternal. So it's not my God, my family, and then my church. It's my God, His church. And the responsibility that God has given me to disciple my family so that we will not only be uh, earthly family members, but heavenly ones in the new creation. If you have a mindset that this is not my home. Because if it is your home, then enjoy them because you will only have them and then you will be separated from them for eternity and from God. Abram was called out of his land, recognizing the gracious call that God had, that he had pulled them out of the idolatrous land that he had come from and that it was no longer his land. The people that he once belonged to were no longer his people. The family ties that he once held so tightly to, he now held loosely. Because he will eventually separate from Lot. Knowing that he was headed toward a heavenly city. God commanded Abram, go, and Abram goes. He practiced exact obedience. The Lord said, go, and Abram went. Please don't miss this point. This is a call for you and I to turn from our sin. It is a call to turn from every weight that so easily besets us. It is a call to turn from idolatry and to turn to true worship of God. We must not, we must be careful not to completely make a, an absolute application here. We are not Abram. God is not calling you to leave in the exact way that he is calling Abram to leave. He's not calling you to leave your country per se. He's calling you to turn from idolatry and sin and turn to the true worship of God. Number three, the Lord uniquely calls Abram and initiates, initiates a covenant with him. Chapter 12, verse one, don't fall asleep here. Now the Lord said to Abram, go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land, which I will show you. And I will make you, here's the promises now, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. And you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you. And the one who curses you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Brothers and sisters, what we have here in these verses is the foundation of, here it is, the Abrahamic covenant. What we have here in chapter 12 is the foundations the initiations, if you will, of the Abrahamic covenant. Thus far, we have considered the covenant of works in Adam, or the Adamic covenant. We've considered the promised covenant of grace. We have considered the covenant of redemption, the Noahic covenant. And now we are seeking or seeing the foundations of the Abrahamic covenant. As I've said, these are the beginnings, if you will. This is important for you to write. These are the beginnings of the Abrahamic covenant. What we read here is not the completion 
of the Abrahamic covenant. We shall see that as the scriptures progress in chapter 13 and 15 and 17 and 22. But right now in this 12th chapter, we are seeing the initiations or the beginnings of the Abrahamic covenant. The book of Genesis or what we find here in the book of Genesis chapter 12, all the promises are here, though. All the promises that God will further as we progress, they are all contained within this 12th chapter or these first verses. What is God promising? Now, when God promises, he is, or when God makes a covenant, he is making promises and he's also making commands with conditions. So here is the promise of God, but also the command of God. The command of God was go. Right? There's the, the initiation of the covenant. Go. What are the promises if I go? The Lord promised a physical land to Abram and his offspring. Are you with me? Don't lose sight of this. He's promising a physical land to Abram and his offspring. The Lord promises four aspects. The Lord promised to make Abram into a great nation. And that Abram's name would be great. His name would be renowned. Uh, side point, isn't it interesting that in chapter 11, they are building Babel? And what is the pursuit of their building of Babel? Come, let us make a name for ourselves. And God says, no, I don't think so. And then in chapter 12, God says to Abram, I will make you into a great nation. I will make your name great. Man doesn't make his name great. God makes man's name great. And Abram's name will be great because Abram will not seek to exalt himself, but exalt the Lord. Okay, so four aspects. A physical land, right? Promise to Abram and his offspring. Secondly, the promise to make Abram into a great nation, that his name would be great or renowned. Thirdly, the Lord promises to bless those who bless Abram and to curse those who curse Abram. I'll slow down. Are you with me? Blessings and cursing upon those who bless and curse. And find the Lord promised that through Abraham, this is a big one, all the families, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. So there are two aspects to this covenant. Now, we are in a Reformed Baptist church. We uh, hold to the Second London Confession. Therefore, what we are going to talk about is what is particular or distinct among Reformed Baptists. Okay? So what you are about to learn is what makes you as a Reformed Baptist distinct in your understanding of the Abrahamic covenant. Got it? Good. There is a duality. I'm going to say a few different words. and I'm going to try to break them down uh, in a more simplistic way. There is a duality or dichotomy of the Abrahamic covenant, meaning this. There's two aspects to it. Duality, meaning dual two. There is a duality within the Abrahamic covenant. And this is distinct, this understanding of two aspects, two sides of a coin, same coin, two different sides of it. This duality of the Abrahamic covenant is what makes, is what is distinct among Reformed Baptists, okay? And that is this. There is a promise to Abraham that has two aspects to it. There is a promise to physical offspring. Here's one side of the coin. Promise physical offspring will receive these blessings. That is those who are the physical seed or flesh of Abraham, those who are his physical descendants, God has a promise for them. And there is a spiritual promise to the seed of Abraham. That's the other side of the coin. That is those who are of faith. 
the faith of Abraham. Okay? Physical promise to the physical descendants of Abram. Spiritual promise to the spiritual descendants of Abram. Right? That spiritual promise that is given to the spiritual seed of Abram is accomplished by who? What the blessing and in you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. That is a promise that is accomplished by the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the physical and spiritual seed of Abram, or he is the physical seed of Abram who produces spiritual seeds of Abram. That might be a better way of saying it. He is the physical seed of Abram because he is who produces spiritual seeds of Abram. There is a close relationship given to the physical seed and to the spiritual seed. There, there, you, we will see as we go forward, there's a kind of an interwoving, an in and out of the physical to the spiritual, the spiritual to the physical. And they are related through the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if you are already frustrated, don't be frustrated. Here's why. Because we have the next maybe 10 chapters up to chapter 22 to continue to go walk through this and walk through this and walk through this until it's clear. The blessing promised... To all the families of the earth is that blessing that will come through the perfect work of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the physical seed of Abraham, who in his doing, dying and rising will bring his children, the spiritual seed of Abraham, not to the land of Canaan, but to a heavenly kingdom whose builder and designer is God. Are you with me? The Lord calls Abram to play a unique role in the history of redemption. In one sense, we can identify with Abram's calling. For we, like Abraham, have too been called out of the grave of our sin. But there was another another sense in which we cannot identify with Abram. Why? For the Lord calls Abram not only out of darkness, but also the Lord is calling Abram to be a federal covenant head. We have not been called to be covenant representatives. So there's one aspect in which we can identify with Abram. And that Abram is called... Out of darkness, just like you and I were called out of darkness. But there is another aspect to Abram's call that we cannot identify with. And that is Abram is the federal head or representative of a covenant that God is making with him. Right? Let me pause for a second. I think it's helpful for us to be reminded that we must not always seek to come to the scriptures and first look for ourselves. We must not always come to the scriptures and say, how does this apply to me? How does this apply to me? How does this apply to me? Instead, when we read the scriptures, we must understand that what we read, that we are often the benefactors of what we are reading, not necessarily the ones who can immediately apply that which we are reading to our own personal lives and say, just like Abram is called, I am called. Not so. God is making a specific covenant with Abram. Okay? Are we together? So, the Lord is calling Abram to be a covenant representative. Let me pause for a second. Do we understand what we mean when we say covenant? There's a promise being made, an agreement being made. Representative. Representative meaning this. Abram is standing on behalf of a people. We have representatives in our government. They stand on behalf of of a people. What they do affects 
the people they represent. Remember this in the Adamic Adamic covenant, covenant of works. What he does affects those whom he represents. Or so as Abram goes, so goes those whom he represents. Are you with me? God has made a covenant with his son. And we enter that covenant through the completed work of the son incarnate, the Lord Jesus Christ. But God is making a unique covenant with Abram, and he has not made a unique covenant with us individually. Okay? I think I've made that clear. Abram will stand as a representative for all of his descendants. Again, as Abram goes, so goes all of of those whom he represents. God makes a special blessing with him, a special covenant with him that will not only benefit Abram, but all of his descendants thereafter, and ultimately all of the nations. Now, at this point, this covenant is in the form of a promise. What's the promise? Again, four components to this promise we shall see in future sermons. Again, there is a physical land being promised. So I said to you guys, I said to you guys a while ago, I was wrong. I was right. There is a land being promised, John. There is a land being promised to Abram, right? But there's also more being promised to Abram. The Lord promised to make Abram into a great nation, and thus his name would be great. The Lord promised blessings to Abram. Uh, The Lord promised to bless those who bless Abram and to curse those who curse Abram. And then finally, that all the nations of the earth would be blessed through Abram. Now, it's important to remember Abram's situation. Abram is in a foreign land. God is promising to give him land. Abram has no land. He's a pagan thus, thus far, and his wife is barren. All of the promises that God is making to Abram, Abram has none of those things present with him. The Lord comes to Abram, promises to make him great, to give him land, to give him an offspring. The fulfillment of these promises require that Abram have both land and offspring, which he has none of. But there we see Abram's trust in God. You will be a great nation. My wife can't even have any kids. I will give you land. I don't know where I'm going. And yet Abram believed God, as we we will see later, and it was accredited to him as righteousness because he did believe God. He laid hold of the promises of God and obeyed the command of God. Now, why? Why would Abram be able to believe God? Because the Lord God preached the gospel to Abram. We talked about Abram believed in Christ. How is he able to believe all of these things that seem wild and outlandish? How are all these things going to happen? The only way that Abram was able to receive and believe the promises of God is because God has softened Abram's heart to believe the gospel. For without the gospel, there is no regeneration. Believing the gospel. Turn to Galatians. I'll show you. Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3 and verse 6. Are we there? Even so, Abram, Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Therefore, be sure that it is those who are of the faith who are sons of Abraham. See that? Those who are of the faith are sons of Abraham, descendants of Abraham. The scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith. Listen to what it says. What? 
preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham. What was the gospel saying? And the nations will be blessed in you. So then those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham, the believer. Did you see that? God is ultimately communicating to Abram the gospel. What we find in the 12th chapter of the book of Genesis is a man who was brought out of darkness by God, who reveals that the promised, what are we talking about? The promised seed of the woman, Genesis 3:15, the one who would come and destroy the works of Satan would come through Abram. God is saying that one who has been promised back here in the garden, he will come through you. In that Abram is, it has, God is communicating to Abram the gospel. God has not lost sight of the covenant of grace. Let me remind you of what the covenant of grace is. I've said, I've said it a lot. It's, it is the unmerited, meaning unmerited by us, freely given favor of God in the form of benefits, the benefit of redemption. What is that? Eternal life, justification, adoption, sanctification, glorification. All of these things were one for us and are connected to uh, Christ's life unto death, obedience, and the reward of resurrection, ascension, and ultimate current glory. That's the, that's the covenant of grace. It is redemption won for us by Christ. Now, it is the new covenant. It was the goal that was leading, uh, that all of history was leading or headed toward at that time. It, it, it was this promise that Abram believed. It was this promise that was preached from Seth, Adam's son, to Noah, Adam's son, to Shem, Noah's son. And, and we must assume, and I think we can assume safely, That Abram was not ignorant of this promise. Noah died two years before Abram was born. Noah was passing this gospel on to his children. Whether they believed it or not, it was not something that nobody had known of. Because there will come a skull-crushing seed of the woman who would destroy the works of Satan and redeem man from his sins. In this calling of Abram, the covenant of grace... It's important for you to write down. The covenant of grace is revealed to Abram. This is not the covenant of grace. Because there was no salvation in this Abrahamic covenant. It was a promise revealed to Abram. God was revealing to Abraham that there would come a seed. And that seed would be his offspring. That seed would be his physical seed. And God is revealing to Abraham, and you will be a partaker of the covenant of grace that I have made. God is not saying to Abraham, this is the covenant of grace. God is saying to Abraham, I am showing to you, revealing to you, and you will be a part of, a partaker of the covenant of grace. Because the promised seed of the woman will come through your line. And this promise now, the foundations of it, they are programmatic for the rest of the book of Genesis. Meaning these promises are the foretelling of what will happen in the rest of the book of Genesis. And also Exodus. Because the land that God has promised, the land of Canaan. It will be fulfilled in the book of Exodus when God gives that land to his people. Amen. So you can't just stop in Genesis. You got to keep on going. 
If you continue to read, you will see how these promises are fulfilled in the, in the giving of Canaan. Now, <clears throat> what we need to see about the call of Abraham is this. It's all pointing to Christ. It's all pointing to Christ. The promise to Abram had an immediate promise to Abram and his descendants. God was saying there is a physical land that he will give. But all of that he was pointing to had a greater promise, a greater purpose. You will give, your, your descendants will have this land. But there is something greater going on here. There is a greater promise that you should look, be looking forward to. There is one who will coming, who is coming, who will ultimately lead his people to a heavenly land. So although there is a physical land that is being promised, it is typological. It it is representative of that great heavenly land that all God's people are headed toward. Are you still in Galatians? Galatians 3.16. Now the promises were spoken to Abraham, listen to this, and his seed. He does not say, and to seeds, stay, stay in Galatians, as referring to many, but rather to one, and to your seed. And, and Paul, who does he identify that as being? That is Christ. Paul is telling us about one person, the Lord Jesus Christ. It is through him, Christ, that all the nations will be blessed. Uh, Galatians 3.27. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For all, For you are all one in Christ Jesus. Listen to this now. And if you belong to Jesus Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants, heirs according to the promise. When we read Genesis 12, the call of Abraham, we are meant to see that there is a bigger blessing being given to him. And it is pointing forward toward the Lord Jesus Christ, of whom all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Christ is the focus. It's speaking of Isaac and and Jacob, but ultimately it's pointing to Christ. There's a lot of misunderstanding, too. Of what our relationship to the nation of Israel should be by looking at the passage of Genesis chapter 12. Many people believe that we must exalt the nation of Israel. That we must do uh, all that we can to protect them, to bless them, or that we will be cursed as a nation. But if the promise that is given to Abram reaches its fulfillment in Christ, then it is not a promise that is still active to the Jews today. Today, according to the scriptures, the Jews are not in any special category of people among the nations. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 28 states, there is no longer any distinction as Christians or as a nation. According to the scriptures, we do not have any special obligation to the Jews or to Israel. Any obligation that we might have is no different than any obligation that we might have to any other nation or any other people. If we treat Israel as more special than any other nation, then we are, to, we are robbing Christ of glory. We are saying that Christ has not fulfilled this, that what Christ has come to, to fulfill in saving a people and nations being blessed has not been accomplished yet. That Christ has not fulfilled these promises. If we give special treatment to a Jew or to Israel simply because they are a Jew or they are the nation of Israel, then we rob Christ of the glory that is only due to him because Christ has fulfilled all of these promises. There is nothing more important for us to see in these passages than Christ. And finally, and, and uh, fourthly, fourthly and finally, Abram's response. <clears throat> Genesis chapter 12, verses 4 through 9. And so Abram went forth as the Lord had spoken to him. Listen to this. And Lot went with him. Who is Lot? 
He is Haran's son. He is Abram's nephew. And there may have been some kind of obligation that Abram felt to take care of his nephew, to be a surrogate father to, to, uh, to Lot since his father had passed away. So he is taking Lot with him. Now, Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his nephew, and all their possessions which they had accumulated, and the persons which they had acquired in Haran. And they set out for the land of Canaan. Thus they came to the land of Canaan. Abram passed through the land as far as the site of Shechem to the oak of Morah. Now the Canaanite was still in the land. Abram was going to a land that is inhabited by his distant, distant, distant relatives, the Canaanites. They are the ones who have been cursed by God through their father Ham. And this is the land that God will ultimately give to Shem or to the Shemites or eventually to the Israelites. Right? Moving on. The Lord appeared to Abram and said to your descendants, I will give this land. So what did Abram do? So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. Then he proceeded from there to the mountain on the east of Bethel. And he pitched his tent with Bethel on the west of Ai, the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. Abram journeyed on toward, continuing toward the Negev. What is Abram's response? In light of all of these things... Abram worshiped God. In light of all these things, Abram is, we are told twice, building an altar. He is rightly responding. He is responding to the promises of God. And his response is worship. He travels in verse 8 to a land to take possession of it. That land is, is, is occupied. And God says, it is yours. To your you and your descendants. And what does Abram do? He worships God. He's engaging in the response, the right response to the promises of God. He's building an altar. What is an altar for? Sacrifice. Abram knows that there is no forgiveness of sins without sacrifice. He is building an altar. Abram is going to a land and there he is coming to the tree, the oak of Morah. And it is said that this oak of Morah was where pagans would come to worship. And rather than worshiping a pagan god, Abram is coming and building an altar to the one true God, Yahweh, in the midst of the country, saying this land essentially belongs to God. What more could he do? How else should he respond but in humility? What does he have that he has not first received from the Lord? Where is there room for pride? We may have said, look at me. Here are all the promises that God made to me. He didn't make you these promises. But Abraham worships God in humility. It's an absolute contradiction for a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ to be arrogant. It's a contradiction. It's an oxymoron for someone who says, I believe in Jesus, and they are prideful and arrogant. 
What do we have to be prideful and arrogant about? It's an absolute contradiction to say, look how many books I have and look how much I know. What do you know that you have not first been given information from from God? You don't know anything apart from what God has first allowed you to know. For any of us to to boast about how smart we are, how theological we are, how Reformed Baptist we are. Don't you know that we would be nothing without God? Who are we to boast? And to boast among other Christians about or other believers about how we are so much more Reformed than they are. And to look down upon those who may not be where you are. I must always remind myself, I was a charismatic, tongue-talking, fire-spitting believer. But I was a believer. And we must be gracious to those who are not where you are. Because you were where they are. That's why when I go to the mission, I'm not stomping on all the things I know that they're doing. Just preaching the gospel. God will work it out. If they'd like to have a talk with me about things that they are hearing specifically, we'll talk. But you know that it's taken me now, what, five years to get to this place? What a prideful, arrogant Calvinist I was. Ready to destroy any person who was an Arminian. What a prideful, arrogant, Reformed Baptist I have been. Looking down upon those who may be dispensational. Or maybe Pado Baptist. Now, for those of you who are friends with those people... Praise God. That's great for you. Your relationship with them is different than my relationship with them, obviously. But I have not once sat across from a table from someone when they were with us and tried my best to be a loving friend to them. I didn't walk away. And we still love them. Those who believe different. Those who think different. Brothers, sisters, what do we have to be prideful and arrogant about? This is all for God's glory and for God's praise. What have we achieved on our own? What have we won on our own? What sacrifice have we provided? What church is built upon our words? None. Let him who boast, boast only in Jesus Christ. Amen. Not look at me, I've got Jesus and you don't. But boast in what Christ has done. Boast in who Christ is. And boast in that great and glorious truth that Christ will return. Amen. This is all about Christ. Amen. Amen. Let us pray.